It is Sam Sermons with another episode of What Do I Do Now, Season 1. And this person is someone I've known, I say, almost almost 15 years now, bro. We up in there. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. Collins Petaway III is joining the podcast right now. The first question is, how are you maneuvering through this pandemic? I know we are officially in almost a full calendar year, but how are you feeling, man? Honestly... This pandemic has taught me to never take anything for granted. Every morning I wake up and I'm able to have my sense of smell and taste and I'm not waking up feeling any sort of a sickness is an opportunity for me to just be so grateful. When the pandemic first started, I'll be honest with you. Well, I saw it coming. I remember back when they first talked about this coronavirus pandemic and I had no idea how bad it was going to be. I was thinking, you know, swine flu, back when the swine flu hit, and when the swine flu hit, and when there was so concern and there was such fear, but life never stopped, you know, and because, you know, things were being handled. And so I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that we would be living in this reality where, you know, reality would be such what we would be doing, because I'm pretty sure had it not been for the coronavirus, you and I would probably be in a studio somewhere recording this. Whereas, very much you know, so. You're right. To, right. We're having to use technology to do these things. You know, we, we. It's interesting that everything about what we know has now changed. How I am doing, I'm actually doing a lot better. You know, just sort of kind of being transparent. This pandemic has really got me to focus more so on my mental health more than anything because I'm if it had not been for the self-care things that I'm doing I make sure I still get massages I am a part of a bible study group every week I was even doing therapy at one point and so I do everything I can to try to ensure that my mental health is taken care of throughout this pandemic and I want to encourage other people to do the same thing because that certainly is the driving force that will keep you you know keep you sane and keep you going. And I just want to briefly run down your accolades before I get into the personal, for, you know, of, of how I know you. Ooh. Uh, well, of course, man, Sam, I'm happy to be here today. Collins Pelloway third, as you just so eloquently like to say, everybody always says my name that way. I, I, it's, it, I love it. A little bit about myself. I am a political communications uh, strategist and specialist. I have my own communications firm called the Pedipool Firm. It's a play after my own last name that I started. I specialize in political communications, PR, strategic communications, as well as event marketing. I also am in the works of starting my own podcast myself. I have a blog that I am working on. I'm also um, active in the community. I have done various political campaigns. I also serve on some Uh, lobbyist campaigns as well, too. Uh, Some different organizations across the community, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, Root to the Bruz, 5 Mu Alpha, Symphonia of America Incorporated Fraternity, as well as the Pride of Alabama Elks Lodge. Organizations here in the Alabama Black Belt, such as the Black Belt Young Professionals Coalition, and also even the Historic Preservation Society, and even the Rotary Club. So you've been busy. Let's just keep it shrill. You just are a, a very, just, very just, involved just, individual, just, especially in your community. Just a little bit, man. Um, just a little bit. And to circle back to how we first met, um, I definitely want to give a proper flower to my former pastor, Pastor Lonnie Earl Anderson Jr. And um, you had come up from Selma, and Pastor Anderson had y'all 
uh, thing. And I want to say it might have been an anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was it may have been the church's anniversary. It was back in 2007 uh, with the Summer High School Choir. We were uh, we were touring. We, matter of fact, actually, we were we were set to go to Chicago, Indianapolis and uh, Ohio, I think. Those were the cities we were planning on going to. And at the time, I can't remember what exactly happened, um, but some things had changed and we ended up sort of kind of making a detour going to some different places. And Kokomo, Indiana, of course, was one of the locations because of the relationship that your pastor and I had and, and we have. Shout out to Pastor Anderson. He used to preach down here in Selma. He was our associate minister at the church that I I'm actually back home attending now. He also was our Crusaders minister, ministry supervisor. So essentially, he disciplined us a lot. And then, of course, uh, he also pastored the church that my choir director at the time was first lady over after he moved to Kokomo. So there were a lot of connections that brought us to that brought us to uh, to you guys. And it just so happened that I think uh, you and I probably became fast friends. I think around that time. Absolutely, you being in the Selma High School choir and me at the time, I was doing show choir at Kokomo High School, Charisma, Vocal Jazz, the whole nine. And, you know, just to see another, you know, black male and just seeing a lot of y'all. Like, I'm, I'm still tight with most of y'all to this day that, you know, y'all really grabbed me as a, you know, just a fan of music. But um, what you guys stood for and how you guys conducted yourselves and things like that. Like, first impressions, right, you know, right. can sometimes last. And like, okay, those are cool people. But the uh, friendship that we forged throughout the years from... You know, you going to A&M and my best friend ended up going to A&M. Y'all graduate at the same time. It's just, you know, and it's and you know, it's never kind of ever fallen off. And I'm grateful for that over the years, man. I don't even know if you remember that night we saw each other, my graduation night. You came to, uh, you can't, we, we, we saw each other. You came to our apartment that night, uh, the night Patrick graduated. I don't know if you Yeah. <laughs> I remember that, bro. Times, that, that's one of the nights we don't really times. speak good about times. often, but <laughs> shout out to the class of 2011, <laughs> Alabama A&M. Hey, good times, good times. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yes. It's, it, I think it's amazing how uh, those small decisions and minor minor changes have, have sort of definitely brought us together. And I think you you might be one of the few people that I still keep in contact with. And it's not because of anything that's out of the ordinary is that I'm still in contact with a lot of some of your classmates and church members at the time. But I think you actually have definitely we've definitely kept that friendship for years. And so that's definitely something that I'm grateful for. Very much so. From someone that, you know, got his undergrad degree in political communications from an HBCU and you decided, you know, kind of take that and work in logistics. Tell me about that part of your life. That was actually happenstance, honestly. At the time when I graduated from A&M with my bachelor's degree, I actually had this plan, these plans of going to law school. And so my game plan was I was going to take a year off and I was going to work. And I was going to spend time working, work on passing the LSAT, getting a good score, and then heading off to law school. About four months into the law office job that I got, I got fired. And it wasn't for anything that I did. It was just for the fact that they were looking for, you know, I, they felt like I had done the job and they, they felt like there wasn't anything else that they wanted me to do. And so at the time, I was in desperate need of a job. Because I had gotten an apartment. I had just done this big spiel to my parents to try to prove them wrong that I could do well by myself and I didn't need them. And so 
at the time I was desperately looking for a job. And so before in the midst of me trying to find a job, because there were some struggles that I dealt with, I actually ended up finding a job at a call center. And I ended up working there for so long. I ended up working there for about two years and I felt like I was doing a really good job, but I did not find any growth. And so in the midst of me not finding any growth, I ended up transferring over to UPS. A friend of mine was working there. He told me that they were looking for supervisors and anything that could get me off of the phone. And so I applied, I got hired, and I started working my way up through there. Come to realize that I actually was doing a great job in logistics and in operations. And I was doing such a good job to where I was able to go back to graduate school where I was able to get my communications master's degree from Alabama A&M under the tuition assistance of UPS. And so it just so happened that, you know, me just taking a chance on finding a better job provided a better opportunity so that I could be able to receive an educational opportunity that was I didn't even have to pay for. And that's a beautiful thing, especially when it comes to your lineage, because education is something that a lot of people hang their hats on. But it's a little different when you have the honorable Colin Spedaway Jr. as a, a fellow <laughs> A&M alum. So talk, talk about that, how that pathway went. Was that something you knew you were going to do and just end up at A&M because that's where the family goes? Or was that just like once you realized it was for you, you went? It had to have been. It, it was definitely a for me decision. Honestly, I was looking at Auburn University. Um, I had been, I was into the Auburn Tigers, the football team. Um, I fell in love with the school. I got accepted into the school. It was Auburn and Georgia Tech. I was looking at both of those schools. And at the time, I was looking at it. I was looking at Alabama A&M, but I wasn't trying to get into Alabama A&M because I knew that, hey, if all else fails, I can go to A&M because that's, the, that's, that's our family school. And I don't know if you know this, but it's not even just my father that went to Alabama A&M. His uh, brothers and sisters attended Alabama A&M, except for one. Both of his parents went to A&M. My grandfather on my mom's side went to A&M, as well as my mom's my mom's brother and sister and their children. And so A&M was a pretty big, it's a pretty big family school on both sides. It just so happens that A&M ended up offering a larger amount of money uh, for scholarships. And I decided to take that chance. And honestly, it's probably the it's definitely the best chance that I took because I most definitely have to say attending A&M, just an HBCU period was the best decision for me. But I appreciate the fact that my dad allowed me to make that decision for me. And it wasn't anything that he said you have to do. And that's definitely important as a PK is someone that's also, you know, in a position where people put things on your life that you may not necessarily agree with, but to have oh, that yes. freedom to forge your own lane. And it just so happens to have been on a highway that many of your family members paved had to be a, you know, a really enjoyable experience. Oh, it definitely was. Um, I have so many memories of uh, my cousins. We were in school at the same time. And so when you have family up there, when you have people that you know, it really makes a difference, um, especially if there are things that you need in different situations. You know, people always want to try. You know, you have people who don't want to be around their family or who they, they don't want to go to school or so close where family members are. And that's perfectly fine. You know, I would have done well on that same regard, too. But 
I'm grateful that I did have family and I did have people to have my back and I did have people that were there to look out for me if I needed it. And that's something that sometimes you don't get at every school. Definitely can attest to that as someone that went to a PWI. I was grateful to have people that I went to school with that was there. I'm glad I had best friends that went there. But I think it gets a little different when it comes to like when it's the family ties there and you're able to, you know, like, hey, we all going home this weekend and things like that. And, oh, well, you know, Auntie says she can come over. She's been asking about you, things of that nature. So I know that was an absolute plus. Absolutely. I think there was never a holiday. We had we went hungry. <laughs> there you go. That's even, what it's about. <laughs> even after I finished an undergrad, you know, living there on my own, that's that's one of the things I was grateful for that I still am grateful for was the fact that there was a lot of struggles that I definitely went through. But most of that was because I needed a minute to swallow the pride to ask for help. And, you know, when you finally ask for help and you reach out to the family and friends that's in the same city as you, it makes a difference. You know, back, you know, I told you back then in the early 20s, I was hard headed. I didn't know any better. I think we all literally that pride is something, especially when you're trying to assert yourself as an adult and things like that. You're kind of real apprehensive on just saying, I may not have it the way I think I do. And to <laughs> humble yourself, right. you know, to ask family members, to ask friends, you know, hey, can you help me out in, until I, until I get over? You know, it's it makes a difference. And I think that just shows the maturity in who you are as a person and as a man, because truth be told, when it comes down to us as black individuals, as black men, it's kind of rough to admit like, hey, I, 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 I need a little help. It is. It is. I know that's hard. That's really hard to admit, especially for men. You know, we have a we've got a real big pride complex about ourselves because, you know, we just want to do things on our own. We've seen our fathers do it. And so we want to make sure that we can do it at the same time. And so, you know, it takes a lot to really admit that you need help. And I know for me, when I got to that point, it was probably the best decision that I was able to. It was the best decision that I made for myself, because when I finally made the decision, hey, I can't do this by myself. I need some help. That's what really pushed me to sort of, OK, you can do this because you're not alone. You know, I was able to go back to school to get my master's because I knew I was not going to be alone in that struggle. That's definitely what's up. So I'm going to switch gears real quick and I'm going to bring up the fact that you are a son of the Alabama's fourth judicial circuit judge. Your father, the Honorable Collins Petaway Jr. He was elected in 2012, correct? Yes, he was elected in 2012 and he was sworn in in January of 2013. All right. So in regards to public service in being a child of a judge who's, you know, it's not just a small situation. It's circuit court. So we're seeing a lot of things that, you know, affecting the community and things of that nature. Explain to me or tell my listeners right now how that kind of shaped what you are end up doing currently at working in public service. Sure, absolutely. So before my dad was even a judge, he had spent 20, 25 plus years as a lawyer. And he wasn't just, you know, any lawyer. He worked at Chestnut Sanders and Sanders and Petaway here in uh, Selma, Alabama, which which was known as the largest black owned law firm in the state of Alabama. And one of the things they specialized in was ensuring that people receive their proper justice and people receive their proper day in court, no matter what their income was like. It didn't matter if they didn't have it. It didn't matter what their situation was. My dad was always that person to where he checked with people first, money later. And so it was always transformational versus transactional. And so 
when he ran for judge, it was almost a no brainer that people wanted to support him because those same principles that he took as a lawyer, that he exudes as a person, as a man, as a staple in the community, he continues to do that as a judge. And that certainly, you know, is an inspiration for me growing up volunteering for campaigns, being a part of organizations. I'm that guy now where if I'm driving down the street and I see someone, they might have, their car might be broken down or they're, you know, someone might be asking for some money for something to eat. I'm that person that'll more than likely do it with caution for my safety, of course, but I would probably still do it. And that's just because I've seen my dad always exude that selflessness over the years. And he took that into the courtroom. He take he takes that um, at the judge's bench. He's taken that when he was campaigning, uh, being a part of political organizations. Uh, he was also, he also worked with uh, Senator Hank Sanders, his campaign as well. He also legally advised Mayor James Perkins at the time uh, back in 2000 when uh, he was attorney for the water board. So there was definitely a lot of mentorship as far as from my dad, not just other. It, there were others as well, but my dad definitely played a major part. And I can't even begin to continue without referencing someone that means a lot to the Atlanta political scene, the Georgia political scene, as well as Alabama. Got to mention the late John Lewis. And uh, if you could briefly, Absolutely. you know, kind of just give way to what he meant in your area, because I know what he means to Atlanta. I actually live in the fifth district um, that he represented, but who was he for you in the state of Alabama? Sure, sure. So for a lot of listeners who may not know as far as what John Lewis did, John Lewis marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the invitation of Dr. Frederick Douglass Reese, who worked with the Dallas County Voters League and invited them to come down to march across the bridge, to, to march for voting rights during the voting rights movement in Selma, Alabama. So many people remember John Lewis because he was beat on that bridge on Bloody Sunday. And then he continued that fight again after the Bloody Sunday events. And he essentially saw the mission through to where Lyndon B. Johnson finally signed the Voting Rights Act. And so you can't talk about voting rights. You can't talk about Selma. You can't even talk about the Edmund Pettus Bridge without mentioning names like Frederick D. Reese, Martin Luther King, John Lewis. And his life certainly was an inspiration to public servants, any public servants out there, whether you're an elected public servant or if you're a community public servant. One of the things that he always believed in was it did not matter who you are, what position that you're in. When you see an opportunity to do something meaningful that is bigger than yourself, you do that. That's why I loved what he talked about when getting into good trouble. He actually was the speaker. He spoke at the Bridge Crossing Jubilee celebration at my church in 2016. And I still have the video and the photos of him uh, when he spoke. He was amazing and honestly an inspiration. I was also there after he passed when they took his body across the bridge on the horse and carriage across the rose petals. That was honestly emotional. And definitely want to send our condolences out to the family of John Lewis. Absolutely. And I think what really occurred here in Georgia, especially when it came to the Senate runoff and things of that nature and how Georgia ended up flipping blue and how his pastor, Reverend Raphael Warnock, and someone that actually interned under him, John Ossoff, are both headed to U.S. Senate. is a tribute to his legacy that is going to continue to live on. 
Right. I think that honestly was an inspirational story within itself because I had to see the correlation of those two now senator elects to sort of stand in the gap to do the work and continue the work that has been done. You know, honestly, it, it the work that John Lewis did and the work that he has inspired so many others to do, not just in Georgia, but in Alabama, it's a testament of, you know, what we can do. And it is my hope that we are able to continue the work in his legacy and in his name. Speaking about public service, I definitely got to, you know, mention yours and to the ability to transcend just, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I work in a political family. Like there's some people that literally just write off the coattails as we see right now wrapping up the White House. There are people just like, OK, I got a position and really not making a difference. You, on the other hand, has really hit the ground running, put on your shoes and tied them up, lace them up and have been running your own race. So, you know, tell the listening honestly about your public service that you are doing in the summer community. Sure. Believe it or not, I actually had no plans of moving back home to Selma. I had no plans of everything that's happening now that was nowhere in my purview. My job at UPS was going so well, and I was preparing to graduate with a second degree. I had received a job offer to go to San Antonio, Texas to work as an account specialist. So, you know, just imagine someone at the time, I'm 27, 20, I was 27. So imagine someone in their mid-20s uh, about to get a re- you know, really nice job, good money, second degree. And I was building my profile. I had these ideas of things that I wanted to do for various communities. I started blogging in graduate school. I started diving more into my research. And so I started to, the fire that I used to have, that I had back when I was an undergrad, started to light again for community work, for service, for politics for the want to be able to do and to see communities thrive. And so initially, as I was preparing to graduate and I I had accepted the job offer, I'm getting ready to move. It was literally an epiphany, epiphany that I had. I was talking to my mom and she was asking me about, you know, why, why don't you move home? And then I said, well, I don't know if I necessarily want to go home. You know, I'll go to Texas for some years, do some work out there. I do some blogging and a couple of things and then maybe try to make my way over to D.C. And one of the things my mom said was, you know, the, the mistake that I think that a lot of millennials make and people your age is they try to do the work that a million people are doing in the largest community in the country where there's a million of people, where there are a million of people who think and look alike. Whereas there's one of you and there's one community that you can bring those resources to that needs it. And then you can use that to work your way to where you need to be. Sam, I had never thought about it like that. That's a word. That is honest to God. Like your mom is on to something with that. Yeah. You know, a million people going through a small door in D.C. and in those large spaces and there is literally a platform for me right here in Selma that no one is, is 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 going through because you know there had not been another me <laughs> before. And I, I I came down here and when I first came down here, I started working uh with Walt Maddox. Walt Maddox ran for governor in twenty eighteen. He was the Democratic candidate. Uh he lost the election against Kay Ivey. I ran his region, I was his regional field director, so I covered about 18 counties. Most of them are within the black belt. And so Walt lost the election, but 
all of those counties that I was over, we won our boxes. And we in all of our counties were successful counties, which definitely spoke a lot about, you know, the work that we did. And so I started volunteering for all of these other organizations, the Dallas County Democratic Executive Committee. I started a young professionals organization with another friend of mine, Robert Stewart. I started doing some volunteer and planning work with Latasha Brown and Black Voters Matter in the Selma Black Belt area. And I started to really see all of these things in the community that needed help, all of these missing factors. I I started seeing all of these resources that were missing in Selma. And then I started to see the potential that, you know, that my own city could be, you know, coming from a city like Huntsville, where there were so many resources, restaurants, um, healthcare facilities, so many different things that literally were at the tip of, you know, a finger, or I could just easily drive five minutes down the street. You know, why is it that we're still driving to Montgomery when we could easily have these resources here? The only thing is there is, and people just don't know it, which brought the light bulb to me that there is an educational component that that is missed here. And so my drive behind me doing everything that I'm doing from volunteering for these organizations uh, through working with different entities, such as the Workforce Development Department over at Wallace Community College, where I was able to see about providing job opportunities for free CDL licenses, free Microsoft Office classes. And I was able to do all of that because I feel as if no one has ever taken the time to invest in the people. Everyone always wants to invest in these cities, but we don't have enough people out there investing in the people and teaching and educating and talking to the people. And one of the things I want to do is just really bring that education aspect back. And so everything that I do in public service is always about educating the people and just making sure that they know the power that they have and that they know that they are able to make the same changes because I'm no better than them. I grew up in the same communities that they did. CP3, I need to ask right now on this podcast, like, am I going to see a Senate run from you? Or am I going to see a, a House of Representatives run from you? I'm sorry, but that your platform is iron solid, my guy. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not going to say yes. How's that? I just want to be like, you know, let me be the communications person. that I can handle that. I don't know if I can do everything else that everybody else be doing. But if nothing else, you always got a platform with me, bro. Hey, brother, you know, I appreciate it, man. I really do. I really do, man. But but seriously, I love my community. I just, um, matter of fact, I love Selma so much. Sometimes I miss when I call Selma a woman. Every now and then, you know, I was, you know, hey, she is important to me. And that's just how I look at it. You know, Selma molded me and Selma made me. Not only that, Selma also changed and shaped the world and how we see, how we view justice and how we view our rights, especially when it comes to the right to vote. And so, you know, while people on the outside are fighting to provide resources for Selma, I believe that it is so important to ensure that people here on the inside know that they are just as important in that same fight. And that's definitely, definitely important, especially in our communities, especially for the next generation, which I think 
definitely, you know, turn the tide down here in the South. And as much as people were saying it's a blue state, I think we are very much more purple. There is still a large red population outside of the, you know, metro Atlanta area. But to make make changes like we just did, you know, all the recounts and things like that, I think what you're doing is needed, it's warranted, and I personally want to thank you for what you're doing in Selma and hope that it reverberates in a lot more communities. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's a big thing. I do agree with you on the fact that, you know, states, we can't necessarily just say states are all blue because of the fact you don't want to disregard those voters who did not vote for, you know, a Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff. You also have to consider them and their needs because, you know, they are their senators, too. Very much so. Before I leave, I know you did something really, really major in the pandemic. If I'm not mistaken, you crossed over into Omega Psi 5. You can please just, you know, talk that one up and how that um even occurred. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. First of all, rule to the brother. Ah, yeah. But listen, um, first of all, being a brother of Omega has always been something that I've wanted to do. My biggest regret was not being able to become a brother of, of Omega Psi 5 when I was at Alabama a and for so many different reasons. And so initially that was one of the things that of course my father he's also a brother of omega sci-fi you know um i spoke with him you know about wanting to become a brother of course obviously it's my path it's my choice and you know when you make that decision to want to be a part of the fraternity one thing i had to take into effect was and i had to take into consideration was how much time it was going to consume because i know you know, when when you're a part of a fraternity or a sorority, I think anyone can attest to the time that it, you know, the time that these organizations demand from you, for you, you know, having to work out in the community to have to work to uplift the name and uphold the name. And then with it being a black organization as well, in a time of such civil unrest, I felt like, you know, if not now, when? And especially considering the fact that, you know, I'm able to be a part of such a prestigious organization that has years, years of rich history and tradition rooted in the African-American race. You know, I'm grateful for our four founders and for the vision that they saw for me. And so becoming a part of Omega Sci-Fi during a pandemic definitely was different. And I'm pretty sure it's certainly not what most people would have envisioned because of the pandemic. But please believe me that definitely Omega, it's still Omega Sci-Fi fraternity. That's all I would, I can definitely say it is still Omega Sci-Fi. And I think that's where we're going to wrap this episode up. Um, Where can they follow you? Where can they find you to give them the website, the whole nine? First and foremost, please feel free to stop by my website collinsp3.com that's c-o-l-l-i-n-s-p-3.com you go there on the first page you can scroll down and visit you can check out all of the virtual conversations and interviews and op-eds that i have been a part of i've been featured in and that i published in matter of fact sam our conversation with savannah is actually on the website too wow okay okay oh yeah (laughs) and then you can also scroll down and subscribe to my website for all updates there's an area where you can read about my blog there's an area where you can also read about my upcoming political podcast that i'm preparing to start out with called the black constitution i've even got a sneak peek 
that I put on the website, as well as a page that talks about my communications firm and how you can also book me for your consultations. And listen, I'm also on everybody's social media. You can find me on Facebook at cpedalway 3 or Twitter at cpedalway 3 or on Instagram at cp3 underscore 820. Collins, I appreciate you joining the What Do I Do Now podcast. It's been another great episode. I will see you back here next Monday with a brand new episode. Thank you to everyone that's listening every single week. And just tell one more person. How about that? Share with this great information and life-changing information. I promise you the great content and the great guests are going to keep coming. It is Sam Sermons, and it's been another episode of What Do I Do Now?